Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. Hello to the listeners of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Welcome. We love the podcast world and we thank you for your listening. Victor is a author, columnist, scholar, and political commentator. And that's what we love to listen to him for. Today, we're going to be talking about the latest news. And we'll look at the Never Trumpers, the Yee interview, the Ukrainian situation, and Biden's latest efforts to keep gas prices down. So that's what's ahead. Please take a moment with us for some messages, and we'll be right back. Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. And Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and globalization are destroying the idea of America, the Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American Citizenship and Its Decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash VDH to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash VDH to start. hillsdale.edu slash VDH. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, They've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. 
Welcome back. I'd like to remind everybody that Victor is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Victor, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I've been traveling and trying to resume a new life. I'm 70% of my old self and on the road to crushing, strangling, and decapitating long COVID. And uh, I'm I'm internally upbeat. How's that, Sammy? Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. And I know that we have some tough topics today, so I'm glad you're in an upbeat mood. I, I wanted to start today with... We just recently had a car bombing in Moscow or the um, outskirts of Moscow of Daria Dugina. And I was wondering your thoughts, who who did it and what's happening with this? Well, you know, everybody in the United States rushed to say that the Russians did. I couldn't figure that out because Daria uh, Dugina, is that her name? I think it was. Yes. Yes. Her father, Alexander Dugina, was some alt-right nationalist in I mean, he was to the right of Putin, so it didn't make any sense as Putin has fewer and fewer supporters, but the diehard, right? Why would you try to blow? And maybe it was intended for him, right? That's what the speculation is. But then, so I thought it was the Ukrainians. And then I think when I was on the road Tuesday, yeah, I, you know, I had to do a lot of speaking, but I did hear the news that the New York Times had reported that the Ukrainian government the unidentified sources in the U.S. government had said that they knew the Ukrainians did it, which is really raises a question. And I want to be very careful what I say to our loyal listeners, but I think that Vladimir Putin is an awful person. He's a thug. And I wish he were not the head of Russia. I think his invasion of Ukraine was amoral. I'm glad that the Ukrainians are pushing them out. But Mr. Zelensky is not the arbiter of American policy. We have given him, we're getting close to $75 billion. And when the Ukrainians go into Moscow and blow up a young woman who is not a combatant in the war, or as Mr. Zelensky said, I think 48 hours ago as I speak, that the United States cannot be, quote, reactive. It has to be preemptive in reference to what? The Soviet threat of nuclear weapons. In other words, the president of Ukraine is telling us that we should use our nuclear arsenal to take out Russian targets. I know he's backtracked, but there's something asymmetrical and wrong with this relationship because all he does is tell us what we have to do. We have to do this. And when David Petraeus says that we are capable of taking out all convention and conventional forces in Ukraine, if he uses a tactical nuclear weapon, let me just pause there, Sammy. So let's say this deranged, awful Putin is going to lose power. He's losing the war and he lets out off a tactical nuclear weapon for what purpose? I don't know. But say he does it in an isolated area of Ukraine, which would be stupid. Mm. But let's stupidly speculate. And no one dies. David Petraeus then wants us to do what? To destroy 300,000 Russian troops and start World War Three? I'm sorry, I'm not I'm not going to sign up for that. And what I'm getting very angry about is that this black and white, there is no black and white in the world. There's better and worse. And Ukraine has the moral ground, but they're fast telling the United States that you have to keep supplying us. And if Europe goes into the dark, that's fine. We can put civilization back for our behalf. And I say to them, okay, then restore press freedoms. And if you want to be the co-equal of European American democracies, then treat yourself like a pure, transparent democracy. And what does that mean, Sammy? That means no more barisma. Don't have your people hire the vice president and his son and pay them exorbitant funds and fund this syndicate. 
don't interfere in the 2016 election by having your ambassador write op-eds of a political nature. Don't offer the Secretary of Defense to Alexander Vindman, the architect of the first impeachment. Don't do any of that stuff. Don't interfere in our business, in other words. Don't tell us what to do. Don't tell us that $75 billion is not enough. Don't tell us to start nuclear war, World War III, on your behalf by preempting something we never even considered in the Cold War. Don't do that to us, because if you do, and don't tell us that you you have a right to go into international waters and sink the Russian fleet. Maybe you do. That's your business. But don't tell us that we have to give you the weapons to do that. And I think what's happening now is that this it's getting you can be pro-Ukrainian as I am. You can want them to expel the Russians. But this idea that there's no negotiated end to this and that you're going to take out not just the Russians out of Ukraine, but as John Bolton wrote in a very strange op-ed, that you're going to insist on regime change in Russia. It's not my duty to say that Maduro, Maduro cannot be thug that he is, that he should not be president of Venezuela. It's not my duty to say that because President Xi in China has a million people in a concentration camp, the Uyghurs, and he harvests human organs from people, prisoners and such, that he has no right and we our policy should be to remove him. You see what I'm getting at? So yeah. I don't think that as bad as Putin is, it is the duty of the United States to go into Russian affairs and get him removed, unless you want that somebody from their point of view to try to do it to us. And something's gone wrong here that we've lost our moral and ethical bearings and the celetry. Yeah. You said that the Ukrainians are Christ-like and they they have the moral high ground. They were attacked. And I'm very happy that they're pushing all of these Russians out. But Americans don't hate Russian conscripts. They don't hate the Russian people. And somehow in this matrix, we have taken Putin. And we, because of the Russian collusion hoax and because of all these, this failed reset, we have pushed Putin into a de facto partnership with India, with China, with Iran and Turkey. Mm. And that's not a wise strategic move. No, no, it isn't. But uh, I'm curious, why do you think it is that our administration is by or stepping deeper and deeper? Even Joe Biden in his speech said Putin, quote, cannot remain in power. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe we'll just look at, well, he's a little crazy, but speeches make a difference in they diplomacy. Do. They really do. What he said the other day, he said that we're the closest we've ever been to nuclear Armageddon. And so why does why is he doing this? Okay, if I was a conspiracist, and I'm not, but there are conspiracists who argue that the tangled Burisma, Hunter, Biden conglomerate relationship with the Ukrainian government, which has funneled millions of dollars to Joe Biden and his family, have a bearing on their influence with this president. OK, I'm not sure I buy into that, but that's one theory. The other theory is not that the Biden family is compromised by the huge amounts of money they've received from foreign governments, in particular Burisma and all of Joe Biden's braggadocio, remember about firing the prosecutor and all of that's crap. Yeah. But the other is that this becomes a psychological continuation of the failed Russian collusion hoax. So for 22 months, we heard Russia, Russia, Russia. Putin, 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 collusion, 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 $40 million, 22 months, dream team, all stars. Trump is going to be removed from office, bombshells, all of that. Andrew Weissman, all of that Robert Mueller crap. Mm -hmm. And nothing happened. And they were humiliated. And none of us have any fondness for Vladimir Putin. But now what they're trying to do is to revive this idea of Russia is evil and interfering all over the world, which it is in the case of Ukraine. But they've transferred their zealotry and they're trying to say to everybody, OK, we were wrong about Russian collusion, but we were right about Putin. See, so now we've got to redouble and get and go after. It. And so it becomes the, the new holy grail for them. And so all and you know, what's weird. 
all of the signs that said this house doesn't say illegal alien. This house doesn't tolerate sexism. This doesn't. They've all taken down their signs and have Ukrainian signs now. So it's it's weird how the left has sort of created this fanatic allegiance with Ukraine, and it's it's very disturbing. I I'm very wary of after the last fifty years of interfering in all of these intra private, or I should say national public affairs. In 2014, we injected over $5 million to affect the Ukrainian election. Okay, Victoria Newland, we know all about that. When when Bill Clinton was president, we know that a lot of his political operatives went to Israel to defeat Netanyahu and the Likud party. We know that. So the idea that we're, we're interfering in these other governments and we're telling people Ukraine is pure. All Russians are evil. We're going to interfere in the Russian political process such as it is. This, t- And we're going to get a coup or we're going to remove Putin and nothing's going to happen. And when he says nuclear weapon, he's just bluffing and we've got to call him on. OK, so what are you calling him on? You're calling him on this, that a dispute in eastern Ukraine over an area that is 70% Russian, though I I wager that it probably wants now to switch allegiances and join Ukraine. I, I'm sure if they had a plebiscite, they would vote to Crimea and this area. I think when they did have one in 2000, in the 1990s, uh, even they did, even Crimea, I think was 52% wanted to join Ukraine. But my point is this, that we're going to risk a possibility and I say a possibility greater than any that we've had since the 60th anniversary. I mean, today, this this month is the 60th anniversary coming up on the 28th of October, the finale to the Cuban Missile Crisis. And, and we're going to start talking about nukes all because of a con- what's coming down to a contested area in eastern Ukraine between Russia and its former republic, the independent nation of Ukraine over areas that are 70% Russian. And over that, we're now promiscuously, whether it's David Petraeus or John Bolton or Joe Biden, we're talking about lowering the bar on acceptable parlance about nuclear exchanges. And it's really scary. I think it is. Yeah, I do too. Well, um, on that note, I would like to turn to another subject that is somewhat close, strangeness strangeness in our political world, the never Trumpers, who basically we consider them the people that wanted to defeat Trump that were also conservative. But I'm not sure that I believe that they were ever conservative in the first place. That's my take. But I was wondering your thoughts on that. What about these, the Lincoln Project, Elliot Abrams, Bill Kristol, Lynn Cheney? What are your thoughts on that? Well, This is gut check time because we have been told since 2016 that the pure minded among the conservative movement and only the pure minded by virtue of their superior morality could not tolerate Donald Trump. They never made the argument that Donald Trump was the moral inferior, let's say, of LBJ or Bill Clinton as far as their sexual antics, just to take one example. They never said that he was more corrupt, as corrupt as LBJ. They never said he destroyed people's young women's lives like I think you could say JFK did. I don't think they even made the argument that uh, he had any more amoral background than recent presidents. But they said he was crude and crass, and that was true. And therefore, they could not vote for him. Okay. But they were still conservatives. So they went to the left. I'm talking to a lesser degree about the dispatch, but especially about the Bulwark and Lincoln Project. And they got millions of dollars from Pierre Amador, the eBay person, and people like him. Okay. And then they said, we are the true conservatives. You people are apostates. You're Trumpers. And they were as nasty or nastier than the hard left. Okay. And now... Trump's presidency is over. And guess what? They told us that Joe Biden would be a uniter. He is the most divisive president we've had in modern memory. 
No one has given a speech like that Phantom of the Opera rant. He does it almost every three weeks now. He goes back to that topos. So more importantly, they were wrong about Biden. And more importantly still, all of their lifelong credo that you should have a secure border, that late-term abortion is bad, that you have to have a deterrent law enforcement policy, that United States should be energy independent, both for diplomatic and foreign policy interest, but also to help the middle class, that you should deregulate, that you should have smaller government. Okay, he is against every one of those items, Joe Biden and the people behind you. And yet we haven't heard a word from them. And now we have gut check time because we have a candidate, Ron DeSantis, who's an Ivy League graduate. He's a veteran and served in a combat area in Iraq. He's a successful governor of Florida. And by any, if you put, went back in the way back machine to 2012 or 2008, he would be no different than any other Republican. And guess what? They don't like him. They do not. Lynn Cheney will not endorse him. Lynn Cheney is going to Arizona to campaign against the senatorial and gubernatorial Republican candidate. If you read the dispatch, it is all left wing, left wing. So my question is, once you have a alternative to Trump, then you would think that these people would get their wish. They might have some contrition and say, you know what? Because of our hatred of Donald Trump, I'm speaking of a David Frum or George Will, because of my hatred of Trump, I was willing to vote for Biden or empower Biden by not voting. But now that there's an alternative, I'm not saying I'm for that or against that, but there seems to be, if you look at commercials and fundraising on the part of DeSantis or Pompeo, don't you think they would come out and say, run for I'm for DeSantis because that's my conservative fides have been restored. But if they don't think that and they think he's too, what, connected with Donald Trump, there's other candidates to pick from, isn't there? They can say, you know what? Pray God that Tom Cotton, Mickey Haley is my candidate. Mike Pompeo, we've got to get him elected. They're not doing any of that. And the question then arises, why? Why? Why isn't the Lincoln Project doing that? And the answer is money, 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 money. Because of their fanaticism and their extremism, they burned all their bridges with the conservative movement. And they feel that their only lifeline are these financial streams, these infusions of cash from leftists who see them for a while longer as useful idiots. And if they say finally, well, it's over now, I was a never Trumper, and those Sammy, they didn't look at the nomenclature, look at the philology. They never said they were never conservatives, did they? They never said they were never Republican. It was never Trump. Take Trump out of the equation and guess what? They turn out to be never conservatives and never Republican. And they do that because if they were not that way, they would not have any money and they would be orphaned politically, which they are in, to a certain extent anyway. So I think this DeSantis, the rise of DeSantis and the impression that there's going to be other candidates that are going to challenge Trump really put them on the spot. And they're found wanting because they should not even use the word conservative. They're not conservative because they are paid by left wing people and they exist to confuse people to think that they are conservative when they, by any measure they're not. And they should just be. I have no problem with that. But all I have to do is say, you know what? I don't like the conservative movement anymore. I'm not a Republican. I'm a full-fledged left-wing Democrat. And don't call me, you know, don't say the bulwark or apostates or don't say that the ditch bats or don't say the Lincoln Project are in any way connected. We don't want anything to do with those, any conservative, Haley, Pompeo, DeSantis, any of them. Cheney should say that. She should say that. And I think it's a lot. John Bolton should say that. George Wills would say that, but I think they have so much personal bitterness over things didn't turn out the way they, they did. I think they really did believe in 2016 
if any of them weighed in in an op-ed, if anybody frowned on Fox News, if anybody was speaking speaking to CPAC and they weighed in against Trumpism, everybody goes, oh my God, George Will, Bill Crystal, we got to follow them. They're our leader. And that didn't happen. And that was a, that was a bitter blow indeed. Yeah, you seem to be suggesting, though, it's more that they had their actions were a result of monetary decisions rather than decision you don't think that there was any decision of the heart i mean do they just not believe in anything so they'll go wherever okay okay so let's say that i'm incorrect and their bitterness is not because of their i don't know columns or speaking fees or tv appearances or whatever their main source of income and prestige and influence was okay 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 and let's just say that you're right they were spirited and they thought that donald trump for the first time in their lives was so egregiously bad that they had to vote against the republican nominee and they had not done that with Romney. They had not done that with McCain. They had not done that with the two Bushes, did they? They no. didn't do it with Bob Dole. They didn't do it with any of them. But Trump was a special category. That's what they told us. And they were willing to vote for someone who, by any measure in 2020, was either enfeebled or a pawn of the hard Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Obama left. Okay, Everybody knew that before that. Okay, but let's say they were misled and they voted for this socialist agenda that we're now suffering from. Let's give Mm -hmm. them all that credit. But now there's a whole array of candidates and they run the gamut. There's Nikki Haley. She's and Tom Cotton are kind of neocom. And they've disagreed with Trump on issues. There's Mike Pompeo, who is going to be running against. I think he will probably run against Trump. I don't know what the particular issues of difference will be. It might be one of style. And we know DeSantis will probably run. So yet they have an array, but they haven't said anything, have they? Except they're writing things that are critical of the conservative Republican movement by saying they're conservative Republican. So why doesn't Lynn Cheney say, I can't vote for Donald Trump and I can't vote for DeSantis? He's too much like Donald Trump, but I kind of like Nikki Haley. I'll, I'll support her. She can't. But I know, but maybe she thinks that the conservative position now is too populist and it's, you know, that old populism, anti-intellectual, anti, you know, everything that she's. So what's her candidate? Yeah, I think that's right. But what's her campaign? Is she going to say the following? Oh my God, why did they overturn Roe? I've changed. I'm for, you know, I'm pro-choice. I'm for abortion. I haven't heard that yet. Yeah, that's she said, true. wow, I don't believe in physical conservatism anymore. I think Joe Biden's build back better and inflation reduction act. That was really good. Or she can say, I've had a change of mind. I think open borders are much more fair, much fairer to people. So let's keep the border open. And you know what? I don't like the oil companies. I don't like fossil fuels. I be, I'm a radical climate change. I believe that we need to transition. So I don't I don't have any objection to draining the strategic strategic petroleum concern. And you know what? I was too much I was too hawkish abroad. So I kind of like what happened in Afghanistan. A little muddled, but we're out of it. Why don't they say that? They don't. They don't say that at all. You're right. On the issues they can they can. I mean if some abstract idea. I would admire them if they, if they yeah. said, I am now a Democrat and I'm a leftist and I've had a change of heart and all the issues that I thought I had tried to persuade people. And remember, these were not passive personalities. These were activists. They were going around the country making money and trying to influence people to switch or adhere to or adopt the conservative position. They weren't your run of the middle Republican. They weren't that you're a political conservative. These were activists, zealots. And so for them not to continue any conservative advocacy or Republican advocacy and just to lick their wounds is very strange because it, it, it opens a lot of questions. Were they ever conservative? Were they just opportunists? And if they've been disappointed in the Republican Party that nominated Donald Trump? What happens if they don't nominate him? Will they come back? No. 
Are they disappointed in Joe Biden? Have they been critical of Joe Biden? Have they been? No. Has any of them come out and said, uh, there's some really good Republican Congress people and senators? I want them. No. George Will came out and said he wanted the Republicans and if you remember in 2018 to take the House. He wanted them to lose the presidency. Yeah. So I think it's over now. There is yeah. no such word as never Trump. It's never Republican or never conservative. And as, as every zealot, as we know from the history of zealotry, the zealot is far more, uh, when he adopts his new creed, he's far more enthusiastic than the, the old adherent of that creed. So they're going to adopt this new, I guess you'd call it left-wing dog with more energy and advocacy than any of the mainstream Democrats. And they're doing yeah. that. Just look at the pages of the bulwark. They're vicious. They attack. I've been attacked there with a long book review. It was just, they called me an anti-Semite. Yeah. And uh, so these people are, I don't think they have any moral compass or ethical compass. I think it's, it's, it's gauged by careerism. I really do. Otherwise they would come out and explain what they're doing. Yeah, say exactly. That there's, no, there's not one candidate in the entire field. There's not one senator. There's not rep one representative that I will vote for because their issues are not mine anymore. And we're not going to be called never Trumpers anymore because Trump may be irrelevant in the next mm -hmm. electoral cycle. So we're now have a new name. It's called never Republican. Yeah. I think never that, that I think that that's probably pretty much ties everything up, Victor. You're right about the those so-called never Trumpers. Let's go ahead and take a break and come right back to talk a little bit about gas prices and the Biden administration effort and maybe the ye interview with Tucker Carlson. We'll be right back. Have you heard of cancer fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash victor50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, Head to factormeals.com slash Victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code Victor50, that's code Victor50, at factormeals.com slash Victor50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. 
we're back. And uh, I would like to remind everybody that uh, you can find Victor's written work at victorhanson.com. The site is called The Blade of Perseus, and you can subscribe for VDH Ultra material, which is the what subscribers get. But we also have things on the what Victor writes on the website and his podcasts, which are of course free, but please come join us and subscribe. The, the VDH ultra material is absolutely excellent analysis of all sorts of things. A lot of what we talk about here, but um, in written form. And so please come subscribe $5 a month or $50 a year. And Victor, I was um, wanting to talk to you about this, gas price. So it seems to be the top of Biden administration agenda to get that gas price down by the elections. And yet it seems to be creeping a little despite the efforts with the Saudis and maybe offering some relief on sanctions to Venezuela in exchange for some favors. So I, our good friend, Mr. Maduro, the communists that we're now begging to pump more oil. God, it's just crazy. What are your it's, thoughts? It's just crazy. <laughs> but <laughs> it's very strange because Joe Biden came in and the first thing he did was cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. And then he went to the Arctic Wildlife National um, Refuge and he canceled all leases within there. And then he started taking entire areas of oil and gas rich Utah out of bound. And then he started hectoring lending agencies, pension funds, hedge funds, not to loan to the fossil fuel industry. And then he ensured that he would be famous for being the president who has issued the least number of federal new leases for gas and oil. And he got his wish. He, as a point of you know, right when demand was peaking after we had the COVID, he cut our production by about 2 million barrels. But that's not even a good barometer. We were scheduled to increase 2 million barrels. So it was probably a 3 to 4 million barrel difference. So he got what he wanted, Sammy. I mean, gas is, I filled up Monday in my diesel pickup, and it was 29 gallons, and it was about $205 dollars. It was over $7 a gallon for diesel fuel. Gasoline, I just went by on the way home yesterday. It was six sixty dollars a gallon in California at the cheapest place I saw. So, why did, But this is what I'm confused about. Why doesn't Biden say, well, we won, we did it. We, Stephen Chu just talked about it during the Obama years. We did it. We've almost got gas up to European levels. We're reducing consumption. And in fact, we are. Gasoline use is down about 10%. Why? Because nobody can afford a $150 fill-up. So they got their wish. Why don't they brag about it? There's less fossil fuels. There's less carbon imprint. And they could apply that theory to the board. Hey, you guys, guess what? We got what we always wanted. We opened that border wide open. We got 3 million people who came across illegally, no audit, no vaccination, no COVID test, no audit at all. We're going to get another million. Or why didn't they say, you know what? Crime was always a discriminatory topic that people who committed crimes were victims of social pathologies or wider trends. It wasn't their fault. And guess what? We have now institutionalized the Soros model in our big cities. And we're, if you're arrest, if you commit a crime, you're not going to be arrested. If you're rarely arrested, you're not going to be indicted. If you're indicted, you're not going to be convicted. If you're convicted, you're not going to be incarcerated. Incarcerated, you're not going to serve time. Why don't they brag about that? That's what I don't understand. We could apply that to everything they've done, inflation, everything. So I'll tell you why they don't. Because everybody's watching it with their own eyes, and we all already know that, and they don't okay. want to take the blame for so it. So <laughs> what you're saying is, you're saying two things. One, yes. they know that everything they've done, people detest. And they're ideologues, they're Leninists, they're, they're Jacobins. They're trying to force down the throats of a population, an ideology that's rigid. It will not change. It will not alter. It will not forgive it's it's just going to be forced down our throat even though a they know it doesn't work and b they know people don't like it 
and C, they want to retain power. And the only way they can retain power is to keep quiet about the injury they did people and change the topic to the Trump raid, the January 6th committee, the Phantom of the Opera speech, Roe versus Wade, anything but this, these issues that they won't take, they don't take credit for. Mm. And they got what they wanted. And then notice another thing. I think this is, this is really important that Joe Biden, Joe Biden is kind of a gift to us because rarely in recent memory have we had a true socialist administration. I'm not saying that he's a socialist. He doesn't know where he is or what he's saying. But the Obamas, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, they all are running this country right now. And they are socialists. And their agenda is socialist. And we haven't seen that before. And they have the power of the presidency. They have the power of the Senate. And they have the power of the House. And they can do anything they want. And they have done anything they want. And we've all seen the results of it. So everybody talks about socialism and the hard left, but they've never seen how destructive it is in their lifetime. And so now we see it. And guess what? People are sick of it. And they're going to react in the midterms. And so how do you stop that? I just mentioned that they're trying to distract us with these psychodramas. Look what else he's done. All of a sudden, he's legalizing, de facto legalizing marijuana by decriminalizing it on the federal level. <laughs> he gave away what he said it was $300 billion, but it looks like it's a half a trillion dollars of student loans. He just signed that in. And Gavin Newsom is giving $1,000 to everybody in California. If he won't drill oil, he won't drill for gas. He has all of these regulations that we have the highest gas in the country. He he could easily lower the price and we'd get a break. But instead, he's taking, he's raising the income tax rate to 14.3 and he's 14.3, 14.3, and he's giving away money. So they're frantically, all of them are trying to find some way, some way to win these midterms or stave off disaster without changing their ideological rigidity. And that's going to be hard to do. And I, I keep saying, I think I'm a voice in the wilderness that don't listen to all of this. The red wave is not there. Democrats are energized. Roe versus Wade made a big difference. Uh, people are seeing how divisive and extreme the Republicans are. And they may pick up one or two seats and in the house don't worry it's not going to be a, it is it's going to be a, a red red wave they're going to pick up between 35 and 50 seats and they're going to end up with 52 to 54 senators because mm. people are really angry and they're going to vote and they're going to watch the voting too there's so many true the vote organizations out there and they're watching 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 they're watching martin zuckerberg they're watching george soros they're not going to get caught surprised again yeah, they, and they know it. They know what they've done. And you can see it. You can see I watched that Masters Kelly debate. If you listened to him, you would have thought that he was running on the Republican ticket. He said he mm-hmm. wanted to close the border. He said he wanted to drill for it. He voted against all of that. Wow. And the same thing with that Maggie Hassan, New Hampshire. And the yeah. same thing with in Ohio, and that Ryan, they all say the same thing. They don't want Biden around. They, so you know they know it's coming, and they won't defend their position. Yeah, yeah and, you know, I was just thinking, because you said Gavin Newsom. I mean, it seems in California he wouldn't really need to offer $1,000 to lower income because it's it's all Democratic anyway, but it must be looking a little bit grim in California. Oh, you know. Any any words of wisdom on your local races? Yes. I what just do you think? Saw, yeah. I don't know who ran it, but I just saw a Trafalgar poll. It must, I think it was commissioned by a local um, Republican donor. But it, I have been redistricting. Mm-hmm. Redistricting. I live within two miles of three congressional districts. And from time to time, I've been in all three. Now I'm in Jim Costa. I know him. He's a Democratic uh, multi, multi-term congressman. But according to this poll that's on the Trafalgar website, he and his opponent, the Republican, are running neck and neck. And this is like a plus 12 Democratic district. Wow. So what I'm, 
I'm not trying to get into the politics of that particular race. I'm just saying the following, that Gavin Newsom knows as he looks at these congressional races and he gets calls from the Democratic National Committee, they're saying, what the hell is going on? What's what's going on in the Central Valley? What's going on in Orange? It's not even there. What is the Hispanic voter doing? Why are they 50-50 Republican? Because they must be. Because if you look at the demographics of that poll, it was heavily weighted, properly so, to I think it was 65% Democrat, and it was like 55% Latino and 56% female. That's who they they sample of the 500 people who responded, and yet it was neck and neck. And so wow. I think they, they were they're terrified that uh, the energy among Latinos are very successful, very capable, very bright, uh, family orientated, and traditional candidates, and they don't know how to to deal with it because yeah. they know what they've done. Think about it, Sammy. Every once in a while, that veil drops and that elite, snotty, snarky, arrogant persona comes out of these bicoastal left-wing uh, affluent class. So Nancy Pelosi says, well, why are they sending people to the north? Why they can come down here and pick crops. Couldn't she say, well, maybe we can, we'll get some computer program. No, they're all the same. They're all going to pick our crops. And, you know, Jill Biden, when she said they're beautiful like tacos. <laughs> oh, my God. You, you can really see how they, they feel about um, Hispanics, whatever term we use, Latinos. And every once in a while, you start to see what it's all about. It's all about projection. That yeah. the more in the concrete, the more in the flesh, the more in reality, I don't want to be around Hispanics. If I live in Malibu, if I live in Beverly Hills, if I live in Palo Alto, if I live in Mill Valley, if I live in Napa, the more that I feel uncomfortable, and I think they should be picking crops, or they remind me of tacos, the more that cerebrally, theoretically, verbally, I'm going to sound very hard left that I'm a supporter. And you know what? It was like a, I don't know an atomic bomb, all of a sudden, collectively, half the Mexican-American population said, okay, I see what they were all about. They were all about using us and treating us like crap, and we're not going to do it anymore. We're going to vote as individuals, not collective. And I think you're going to see things that in the next, this cycle, but especially in two years, we've never seen before. Yeah. Well, I hope so. And I hope it goes in the direction of more sane government. That's for sure. Well, Victor, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, let's take a break on at on that moment. And then we'll come back and talk a little bit about Ye, formerly known as Kanye West. Um, his interview with Tucker Carlson will be right back. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back, um, Victor. It was a very interesting interview. I mean, it was a little bit confusing and disjoint at times, but he really gave a what I noticed was gave some insight into the institution of Hollywood and how you're, if you're in it, 
you are run by it rather than being the master of your own life. And I think that it was a bird's eye view into a general bureaucratic world. It could be the FBI. It could be the CIA. It just happens he's in Hollywood and the fashion industry. But what do you think of that interview? Well, there's two things you have to say about that interview. First, the reservations or the qualifications. In some ways, he was incoherent. He said things that were, you know, and he played the victim. I mean, the guy is, as he said of himself, I I haven't fact-checked it. He said he's the wealthiest African-American in history. Okay, that's quite a claim. I think he may be. He's worth over $2 billion. But, uh, But he was complaining about all these injustices done to him which is a little hard to take uh, when he's been so privileged. And he grew up in a very successful middle-class family, and he's very wealthy. He's had a few things in his past that I would call anti-Semitic outbursts and crazy things. So those are the qualifiers. But on the other side of the ledger, what he's essentially saying is that the more successful and influential influential he became, he thought he would be accorded the same deference and realm of personal expression and preferabilities than anybody else would. But what he's discovering is that the left, and you mentioned the Hollywood left, which is primarily what he was talking about, but the corporate left as well, even though he's the most successful African-American in history, even though he sort of runs the rap hip-hop industry and a lot of the endorsement industry and the fashion, no matter how successful he gets, he has people telling him what he can say and what he can't say in a way they don't do to other people, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So what he is saying is, as I understood him, I know that I'm privileged, but people still talk down to me. And these people who talk down to me are not Donald Trump. And they're not Christians. And they're not conservative. And they're not all white people. So white lives matter. It's a particular group of people that have a condescending attitude based on race. And it's the people you would never supposedly suspect, but it's the people I deal with every day in the liberal left-wing dominated music industry, entertainment industry, fashion industry, sports industry. That's what he was saying. And he's right about that. And it's something that a lot of us have been haranguing about for years, that this boutique, very, very wealthy left-wing progressive cadre come to their socialism or their progressivism on two particular caveats. One, their positions, their ideology, their advocacies shall never affect them, and they're always never going to be subject to the consequences of it. And two, the more fanatic and virulent they sound in theory or in words is a mechanism, a psychological, I think, a guilt-ridden mechanism to excuse the fact that their lives are segregations. And that's what I think he's saying if you look for the totality of those Two hours with Tucker. Yeah, and and, I, and and also he was he was he he essentially said that he deals in an atheistic industry that has no transcendence, and therefore it was very hard to deal with people that he felt were atheists and they have no sense of, I suppose, Christianity or Jesus Christ as the savior of mankind, any of that. And so yeah. they have no moral bearings or relativism. He was right about all of that. So what? just to conclude, if you kind of filter out the contradictions, because he's not, I mean, he's, he's a very skilled lyricist, performer, business person, maybe the most skilled business person that we've seen of any background. He's in, you know, I'm so, and he's, he's quite accomplished. If you take, away the contradictions of his complaining about the system and his fixations on race, given how well he's done. But just look at what his his real message was he was conveying. And I think he was he was right on. Well, he said something in that 
line um, in terms of becoming a, a victim himself. He said something, I think, that is broad or a lot of people think in this ultra left that somehow the language of English is part of the system of white oppressors. And I thought that was such a weird thing to say when language is only a tool. It doesn't have the ability to oppress or not oppress in and of itself. And and I think you hear that, that the that's part of the idea of a systematic racism, right? That everything that makes up the system is somehow an oppressive force. And, and he used language as that. And I thought that's. That's what they think, right? These people yeah, well, that run around. All I would saying, say to that is, I would say, well, ye, the new name is that it, ye? Yeah, ye, that's just, ye, I think it's ye. I think, ye, yeah. I would yeah. say, you're right. I wish someday it would be possible in a systematically racist society for an African American man to make $2 billion and have two hours on the top-rated cable show in the country. Maybe, just maybe, we'll come to the point where you can have an African-American president. And just maybe, just maybe, you'll come to the point where African-Americans' aggregate wealth is much greater than any nation in Africa. And maybe, just maybe, we'll come to the point where we will have one of the wealthiest women in the United States will be African-American. Maybe that could happen someday. But of course, it's already happened. And yeah. I don't know. I the thing that's the thing that is the obstacle to racial ecumenicalism right now. Let's face it. Let's talk about it. There's one issue that no one talks about, and that's that about four percent of the population commit fifty to fifty-five percent, depending on the violent crime of all violent crime, and no one talks about it. So you, what happens is this, every day, Hispanic American and Asian American and inner city African American, a white American opens up his or her computer, there's a news, there's TV stories, and it's a father coming to his daughter's uh, college and he's murdered. Or it's an Asian woman who's kicked to death or and all all of these incidents have a disproportionately number of young black offender and it is driving uh chicago into ruin the nightly carnage that goes on and we're getting to the point where no one will talk about it i work at a university where the carry act says that every single crime on campus has to be a reported, and B, with as much information about the suspect for the protection of a larger community as possible. And that was pretty closely adhered to prior to 2020, May. And now I'm actually associated with two universities. And now when I get carry act uh, mandatory notices, they don't have any description of the suspect. So we don't talk about it, but we all know it. And so let's talk about it. Is it because of systemic racism? Maybe it is. Maybe it's because of the poor uh, educational system. Maybe it's because of a uh, that the '60s idea that you just do your own thing among wealthy white upper middle class people, and you know, you know, drop in, drop out, whatever that was. That carefree attitude of sexual promiscuity and don't get married, all that, whatever it is, filtered down to other communities and was much more destructive because they had no margin of error. Or maybe as Tom Sowell said, that it was partly because of the destructive, uh, dueling, hyper-macho, redneck culture of the South in which African-Americans grew out of and adopted the worst characteristics in some cases of white majority Southerners, who knows? There's all different theories, but let's talk about them. Because until that ends, and by that I mean when African-Americans commit 12% of all violent crime, then I, I don't think, I think that's the stumbling block. I really do, because the most liberal people I know, they, they're very worried about their neighborhoods. They don't go downtown. 
they navigate in ways they don't talk about. And then they sound more and more left wing to compensate for the fact that they're terrified. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah I do. And so, yeah. And then you don't hear zilch from Al Sharpton or Ta-Nehisi Coates. But I can tell you that LeBron or, or the Obama, there's a reason why Obamas live in Martha's Vineyard. There's a reason why they have a home in Hawaii. There's a reason why they have a mansion in Kalorama and not they don't go back to their home. very nice home, a very expansive, beautiful home in Chicago, but they don't want to live in Chicago. They might want to have their library there and visit from now. They don't want to live in Chicago. So why would somebody who said Trayvon's is a son I never had or that the Cambridge police we all know are racist? All that stuff he did. Remember that? Yeah. Why would then upon retirement, he not serve as a model for his what he says is his community? And see, here we get into a real paradox, because as soon as I say that, the wealthy African-American elite says, why are you putting an onus on me? You don't put on other people. And I say, they, I don't. You do. You talk of people in collective. You Obama talked about white people all the time. Michelle couldn't finish a sentence without you know, ripping on white people. And then black people, black folks and white people. Okay, so once you go down that road of not looking at people as individuals, then you're a prisoner of your own propositions and your own ideologies. And so if that's true, then why would you want to live by these white oppressors? Why would you want to live in Martha's all-white area? Why would you want to live in an all-white section of Washington, D.C. that's a African-American majority town? I don't understand it. Yeah. And I think I know the answer because they're crime-free and safe. And they would say, well, that's because of systemic. Well, whatever the reason is, change it then. But why does Oprah live in a, 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 a why did the, in Montecito? Why did Meghan Markle move to Montecito? Why did the BLM member abscond with all the money and skim it off the top? Not off the top, off the top, middle and bottom of BLM. And then what do they do? They, lo- they move to the most exclusive white areas there were. And then do that and then say there's not, don't dare talk about black crime. Yeah. And that the only answer that I can think of is that the elite use the fact of black crime as some kind of lever over society and say that this crime is out of control and it's starting to get in the suburbs and we need more social programs, more diversity jars, more social welfare programs, more jobs, more, this is this thing. Yeah. And I I can't think of any other reason, but uh, that's the issue. That's the only, there is no systemic racism. There really isn't. And most people that I come in contact with don't talk about race. They don't care. But uh, there is a worry that when they talk about the police or people are, are stereotyping, why, what, what do you do when 50 to 55 percent of all criminal, violent criminal acts are committed by one particular demographic whose Numbers in the general population, if you talk about black males from 15 to 40, is about three to four percent. How can what do you do when three or four percent statistically commit 50 to 55 percent of all violent rapes, assaults, murders? Yeah, yeah. I think the craziness can only be explained, as you're suggesting here, by the money that is to be made by what do they call it? The race industry. That's what it, it's called. And, well, and there's, there's a, a lot of people that make it. Yeah. Yeah. Every time there's a riot in Baltimore or Chicago, there's Al Sharpton and all, they all come out of the woodwork yep. and say, we need more social programs. This was this fall. And, yeah. then, and then they they work on the guilt of the white liberal. And so. If an African-American gets into a car and he runs down a parade and he kills, what, six people and wounds 50 and, a ra- and he talks on his social media platforms about how he hates white people, then that's not a racial crime. But if some other white nut does the same thing, it is. And, mm-hmm. I, and it's all contextualized in the, the history of slavery and Jim Crow and the 50 years of the civil rights movement. Okay. But finally, to a young generation that grew up only with affirmative action and not Jim Crow and not slavery, 
that argument that a particular group can't be racist or a particular group can't be held to the same standards of language. And so if even, you know, yay West, if I had just substituted the word white for black, that he said, I would have been ostracized. Anybody would. Anybody went on Tucker Carlson and they kept talking about the white community, the white community, the white community, the white community, the beautiful white community, you'd be, that would be all true. And yet yeah. that we're going to get to that point because tribalism, unfortunately, I don't want us to get to that point. I should make that clear. But tribalism, as I said, is like nuclear proliferation. Once a nation goes nuclear, the other people for deterrent fashion go nuclear. So if you have a population and you keep saying, like Jory Reed, we want this particular demographic to shrink, shrink, shrink. And these are Karens and these are awful people and these are awful people. And we're in the, we're in the La Raza group and we're in Asian American collective and we're in African BLM, but BLM, BLM. And you get angry when somebody has a T-shirt that says white lives matter or all lives matter. Finally, you're going to see people who just maybe not publicly because it's not it's taboo, but they're going to start saying, I have an identity as well as just being an American. Everybody else has an identity that they find protective. So my identity will be white. And I don't have any. I mean, you think that I have a any commonality with uh, Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates? Why would I, I have nothing in common with them? Why uh, I'm much rather live among Mexican American people in my hometown than live in a, in a neighborhood of Bill Gates. Yeah. But that's what we're getting to that that reductionism, racial reductionism. I blame the wealthy white liberal because they're the ones that engineer this stuff. The call and who am I talking about, Sammy? I'm talking about the call, university presidents and deans and czars and provosts. I'm talking about the media conglomerates, talking about the corporate CEO. I'm talking about the foundation head at the Ford Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation. I'm talking about the owners of sports teams, coaches, et cetera. Yeah, that's it. You're right about that. So I hope there comes a correction at some point. I think that the race industry is losing face, though, given everything we've learned about BLM and such. So maybe we're headed in the right direction. It's too asymmetrical. It's too hypocritical. Anytime a proposition is hypocritical and patently so, too asymmetrical and can't be applied to anybody on both sides, it's doomed. All right. It is doomed. This whole racial chauvinism. Yeah. Okay. On that note, Victor, we're out of time here today. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom and just all the interesting talk about the war in Ukraine, the never Trumpers and the interview. Thanks so much. Thank you. And thank everybody for listening. Yeah. Thanks to our listeners. This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hanson, and we're signing off. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.